Support for 100 Watts and a Wire is brought to you by 100wattsandawire.com. To subscribe to the show, simply click the RSS feed or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. When you visit, apply for your free 100 Watts ID and learn how you can become a sustaining member. Click the Donate page and pick the option that works best for you. We've got a traveling toolkit, 100 Watts and Wire gear, and activity days with prizes. That's 100wattsandawire.com. And ICOM. Get out and get active with ICOM's new IC705 and its optional multifunction backpack. And BioNO Power, offering the best performance lithium iron phosphate batteries for your ham radios. Visit BioNOPower.com. That's B I O E N N O P O W E R.com. Or contact dealers nationwide. And now, from Grid Square Echo Mike 48, this is 100 watts and a wire. Look at this. It actually, I think it actually worked. Hey, thanks for coming by. We actually started at 7 o'clock. This is a radio guy. I was ready because I'm a radio guy. I was here at, uh, well, 2.30 in the afternoon, ready to do this 7 o'clock gig. But that's how broadcasts go. But now we've got this uh, some lights and a camera. And I'm enjoying it. Uh, I meant to get here and do a stream earlier in the week. Because uh, we were all set up, and I did that promo video for YouTube, and thank you all for coming by. We've got over a couple of hundred people found us over there, and I appreciate um, your support moving over there. Many people are, why are you doing that now? Why are you doing it now? I think it's a, it's interesting, and I like the live aspect of it as a broadcaster. It sort of uh, puts me back in my natural spot. Pushing all the buttons is a little different. Um, I'm a button pusher. But I'll be doing some things tonight, and we'll have some friends come in, and you'll see them. Uh, they may fly across the screen a little bit and come back, and, and then I'll go in and out, but we'll make it happen. So anyway, I uh, last Saturday, let me tell you a little story about what was going on. Last Saturday, I went to do the food pickup. Some of you, if you've listened to the show, the audio podcast, still available, and uh and I welcome you as you join. You can uh, put your comments in uh, as well. Right now, I got a little funny thing I can add here. Look at this. Oh, yep. We're live from Echo Mike 48, depending on when you are, are watching this. So we went to, uh, I'm caring for my in-laws, and uh, I've got two young kids and a wife. And so it's COVID time. We have a, we have a handful. I'll take that out. There we go. And I'm going to bring up the comments here in just a little bit. And so Saturday, we're going to do the pickup. And um, my neck like locks up. It just locked up. And I've been having some, some, you know, something going on in the neck for a while. And I've just been dealing with it. Anyway, all of Saturday, I was all hemmed up. Couldn't turn my neck to the left. And I was like, I can't do a stream. Can't do a stream now. And then here we are on 9-11. And I thought it would probably be cool, uh, you know, to to talk about it a little bit. And, you know, it's really difficult to believe. It sounds silly to say it, but it's 19 years, 19 years. And I put a post up on the Facebook group today to ask you where you were. And I figured I'd talk a little bit about what I was doing. I was on the air at WMMR at the time. I wasn't live. I worked that night and woke up. Uh, to the news, just like many of you did. And I was curious just to see where you were. And I was like morning coffee uh, with my uh, fiance at the time. And uh, and we got married uh, 18 years later now. Uh, but, but it's, you know, we there we were and you couldn't believe it. And the first one hit and I thought, wow, that looks like an accident. You know, that's an accident. People are on the street. It looks like an accident. Of course, the second one hits and we knew there was a feeling, there was a deep feeling of, uh, I think, fear, you know, and, and everything that went with it. And I remember being on the air that evening, feeling like no one anywhere was watching and uh, and uh, or listening. Everybody was watching TV. Peter Jennings was still going and, and doing his thing. And um, 
who else? Tom Brokaw, all the news stations, and they had the burning pile behind the television anchors. I'm like, no one's listening to me. I remember playing Richie Havens from Woodstock that night and thinking that, will I get in trouble for this? Because it wasn't on the playlist. You know, I ended up playing uh, several different different songs because there was a feeling of uh, togetherness. You know, it, the country had come together. And looking back, I don't think uh, we've been the same since. And now this, we probably will change again. Uh, so I thought maybe tonight would be a good time for a, a live stream. And so I invited some friends to join us. And we've got some, uh, we got some content. Uh, let's see what we have here. Uh, where was my, where are you? This is the, the kind of thing where you're going to see me scramble around that you wouldn't see in the audio podcast. But James says he was at the Pentagon. And I know James was working on something uh, non-related to the military. I think he was working with a network. He's a, a shooter video guy. And uh, Ron says he was in D.C. on business. Again, in D.C., oh, I can imagine what you were feeling at this point being in D.C. Uh, for me, I was in Philadelphia, and uh, you could hear fighter jets going from D.C. up uh, to New York and back. It was, it was a really, uh, I know all the planes were pulled out of the air. It was crazy. You can see the radar from that day where all the planes were flying and then suddenly nothing. Uh, Paul says he was also at the Pentagon third floor corridor and uh, Lloyd, he was in Oklahoma in Oklahoma human services until the offices closed. Jesse was at school. Uh, Dave was at school. And, and I realized that many of the people who were listening to the show uh, may not even have been born or maybe they were in a, um, you know, school or uh, kindergarten, something like that. 18 years, a long time. It's uh, a lot going on there. Let's see. Flip was working from home, tuned into her HF rig and listened to the information coming in. See, I felt a little differently at that time. I was not an amateur radio operator. I was, uh, you know, broadcast um, radio guy. And I went instantly to television. And I think you could feel most people were doing that. Now I would be glued uh, to HF. Again, there's some comments. Maybe I should go over here. And uh, let's see. Yeah, the Facebook user thing. I'm just going to say, uh, let me put this up here and I can show that. See, that says Facebook user. Hello. Hello and broken arrow. That reminds me of a Neil Young uh, song. Thank you very much for that. And the reason it says Facebook user is because the app that I'm using here, uh, this is called StreamYard. And you kind of have to give them access. That way they can see your picture and they can see your name. But thank you. Uh, for coming by and say hello. Let's see what else we got here. You're welcome to to chime in at any point. Hello to David. And uh, he's KD2. Now see, he's got this. There it is. You can see his little uh, icon there. Happy to be here. KD2ERR. This is fun. Let's see who this is. Okay. Live from FN34. And hello to Lloyd. We just read about you. And uh, we'll keep an eye on that as we go. I hate to keep people holding. So I want to bring in a couple friends here. Uh, Skip is here. I don't. He's a member of our community. We've been friends for a while. And I know he's got a story. Let's bring in. Let's uh, get that out. We'll take that out. And we're going to bring in Skip. We're going to bring in Ricardo. This is where you may see friends of ours start to fly around the screen. But let's bring them in. Here comes Skip. Hello to, to Skip. And uh, Ricardo, Ricardo is here as well. I think we we've got a couple of layouts we can even. There we go. That's, that's too, <laughs> you like that one? I like to be small. Whatever. Okay, we'll leave it there for now. But we'll I. Think, <laughs> a good evening to you, gentlemen, and you guys chimed in whether it was through our seventy threes um, Facebook page or uh, one hundred watts in a wire. But you both have interesting perspectives and in what you did on nine eleven. And some people may be thinking as they're watching the stream, like. Where's the ham radio? What's going on? But, you know, we're more than amateur radio operators. Uh, we do many different things. There are many different hobbies. And this is the intersection of life and amateur radio. So this is a time, I think, to pause and just look back. There were many years in there. I can't believe it's 19. I say that every year. There were some years where I couldn't do it. And then there were some years when, I don't know if you're like me, 
but uh, I would watch the ceremony in New York and they would read the names off. And, you know, it's one of these heavy things and you really have to be ready for that sort of thing. And then there's years I, I can do it and years I can't do it. Uh, Skip, uh, let's uh, let's start with you and talk about your experience on that day. And, of course, you're an amateur radio operator, uh, November 2 Echo India there. Uh, so it's just more proof that we are more than that. What were you doing on that day and and uh, how did it affect you and what did you do? Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, I was home instead of at work because my my son made the mistake of cooking Chinese food in the microwave with a metal spoon and the microwave blew up. Oh my. I had to wait for a repair guy to come. And um, that morning I was waiting for that. And uh, a ham friend of mine, John Cohen, WB2KKS, sadly now silent key, calls me up and says, turn on the television. Something's going on in New York. Uh, one, of the, one of the trade center buildings are on fire. Uh, they think a plane went into it. So I turned it on. And just as I turned the TV on, the second plane hit the second tower. And uh, being not, not too far away from New York in the Philadelphia area, I, I, I threw on the scanners to try to see if I could get anything, but um, I couldn't. But John, who was at the time lived up in Hopewell, uh, closer in and had, had a beam pointed that way, he was picking traffic up and it was clearly something else was going on. And uh, then we saw the buildings come down and uh, I think everybody everybody went into whatever level of action they could at the time. And I, as I was mentioning before we got started, uh, those of us that were involved in some level of preparedness, um, we were prepared for all kinds of stuff, uh, all kinds of mass casualty events and things like that. Uh, no one was prepared for this. This just was something that wasn't, uh, wasn't in the playbook. Uh, so a lot of people were making things up as they went along and uh, a lot of plans were affected and changed. And uh, um, then, as you said, all of our lives changed in so many ways. Uh, the one thing that was interesting on my local scanner, I had a aircraft band and I could hear it. I could hear the planes coming in and then one, then I just didn't hear anything, uh, which is something I've never ever experienced because the planes all over grounded. Um, and then personally over time, after several months of doing various things, I, I had the opportunity to go up and work at the site and, uh, and see the heroism of the people who tried to make sense of it all after the fact. And, uh, that we, we just kept on going to where we are now. And we're, we're still, um, uh, as, as, as you know, Christian, I teach philosophy and, and we talk about something called the black swan event, uh, an event where we couldn't have, we couldn't have expected it to happen and uh clearly this was that and it's affected us all the way till today and probably will for years to come now what area are you in skip now uh yeah uh southern new jersey across from the philadelphia area okay you were in the same sort of area at the, yeah. At the time yeah okay yeah i i think about the emergency response of this and how enormous and how kind of I'm just guessing, and and it's a with deep respect to first responders uh, on all levels. It was such a massive thing, and I guess it was probably the first thing I had really experienced, you know, in our country type of deal, where I'm paying attention to it. We see of tsunamis and earthquakes and massive things, and it's just things I don't understand because I haven't done it. But the coordination involved between the firefighters. And the teams, I know a little bit more now about the structure and FEMA. And, and it just seems to me like thinking back, it was almost like it felt like a free-for-all in a way. Like, I know it wasn't. And I know it was. And, you know, yesterday, and I'm coming to Ricardo because uh, because he works with the airplanes down in Florida. Um, there was a show on TV just last night about the radio communications from the sky. I don't know what it was called, but you could probably do a search for it. And it, it, it was all about, you know, the radio towers and it was just too heavy for me. And I'm a radio guy and I'm like, I just can't do it. And it's one of these events where I wasn't affected, but personally by a loss um, 
during that event. And I love radio. And I just still couldn't do it. 19 years later, I just couldn't do it. Go ahead, Skip. The other thing, the other thing some people don't realize is so much radio communication for the city of New York and the region was on top of Tower One. And when that went down, uh, the ability for, 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 for communication and interoperability within the area was gone. Um, they had to do amazing things to get that stuff back up. They had to move some stuff back to the old locations on top of the Empire State Building. And, um, and uh, you know, for a period of time there, if you think about trying to manage all the emergency services, public services, various things in the city of New York City, for a period of time there, there were, there, were, there were gaps in communication that were probably putting a lot of people at risk. Yeah, Ricardo, now you, uh, you do work on these big uh, flying machines, and I'd love to hear about uh, your story and what, what was happening in Florida at that time. Yeah, that, um, on that day was actually my day off. So it, my, my first notion of the events was actually from a local uh, radio station. My radio was already going off. And I heard an airplane, airplane hit one of the towers, so that immediately got me out of bed, turned the TV on, and just about, about a, a few seconds before the second airplane hit. Um, at that moment, I was working for American Eagle, which is the, the regional airline for American Airlines here in Orlando, Florida. Um, I didn't hear anything at the moment except I started in, back then there were no text messages. You actually had to, we had cell phones, but no text messaging, so we had to literally call somebody and find out, and, and my phone started ringing. It's like, have you seen this? What do you think it is? Um, then I got calls from coworkers, like, uh, okay, do you have any idea? And as the morning progressed, I had, uh, since it was my day off, um, I did a couple, uh, actually I had a doctor's appointment that I did, came back home, and that's when the last hour fell. Um, when I called work that night, this, uh, just to give you an, uh, before that, I lived within three driving miles from the airport at that time. And I uh, decided to take a drive that evening and all the airport entrances were blocked by police officers. Um, so it's like, okay, then I call work and say, what's going on? And they said, oh, we're starting to park airplanes, the ramp's full. So my next day to work was the next day and we got in there and the whole airport, it, looks, it looked packed of all the airplanes in every single ramp, every single gate. Um, I had, uh, I was not, I was not active on ham radio. I did have my license. My radios were a little bit old, uh, but I still had the, the ability to scan the aviation frequencies and everything was just dead. Uh, when it, finally I went to work the next night and they told us, well, what you have to do is just check the oils because there's no maintenance on these airplanes. So we walked by every single airplane. We make sure everything was ready and we look around and we see it, the airport looked like, uh, if you ever seen the movie, The Longoliers, you remember that when they are after that time, how dead quiet it was and no movement. That is exactly how the airport looked for two days. And then finally we got the word that the uh, UPS and FedEx and all these cargo carriers were allowed to fly. And uh, we knew the one in Orlando lands about five o'clock in the morning. And just before then you can see every employee who was working on one side of the airport where the runway is, was actually to the closest point of the road, just looking at the first airplane coming in. And listening to the tower, they, they were happy to start seeing the, the movement of it. Uh, one plane and slowly the next one UPS and it worked on like that. Um, as a consequence of that, uh, uh, listening, like you mentioned, listening to the audio nowadays, of all the audio they released during that time, um, it's confusing, and especially when they mix both the regular air traffic audio and the military audio, because they use two different lingos for similar things. And that was one of the conclusions that they, they had a problem with. And it's, and you can actually hear it when they call it one in one radio, they call it one thing, and then when they say it, say it to the military, it means absolutely almost nothing for them. Um, here, we didn't hear any airplanes flying overhead. And, and like I said, I was living three miles from the airport and the skies were dead quiet. Um, and as a consequence of it, two years later, I lost my job because it took so much time to the economy, to, the economy of aviation to recover. 
that's that's my little story. My wife is even funnier because she was in school at that time, <laughs> but she's not here. Well, thank you for that. And uh, hello to Lee and uh, Ian there, always kind of breaking somebody's stones there. Appreciate you, Ian. He says, hey, looking good, but looking older, old, old, but good. Something like that. Hello to everyone. Uh, you're welcome to join the discussion there. If you if you notice that you come up as a Facebook user, it's just because the a StreamYard that I'm using the platform uh, just needs access to show your picture and your name. And uh, bring in Ria and to RJ. Uh, you guys know her. And uh, let me take in. Hello, Ria. How are you? Hi. How are you? Can you hear me? As an old friend. Yeah, you sound good. You got on that nice mic. I'm going to move the logo off of Skip's uh, face there. And this is kind of yeah. fun. I can move things around a little bit. Whoop. Look at this. Oh, one for me. You know, I have a little bit of a microphone uh, fetish or an addiction. Oh, I don't no. know what you'd call it. And Skip, your background's perfect, man. It almost blends in with mine, uh, my bookshelf back there. So, Rhea, thanks for coming in. We're just uh, we're talking to the fellas a little bit about 9-11 and... and you know, I, I realize that a lot of folks who uh, listen to ham radio media, they want to, uh, what is skipping the pull up here? Oh, my. If you're going to hold up mics, I'm going to hold up keys. <laughs> good. Are you ask me about my expired car warranty? Then they'll all say, hey, good. Okay, yeah, there's a little bit of ham radio involved. I thought about running 80 meters, but, uh, you know, maybe later. So, Rhea, uh, I, I know uh, we've, we talk uh, pretty regularly, and uh, this morning I saw your post about where were you. I was curious to see uh, where our friends were on this uh, terrible day 19 years ago. Uh, now we got more people. I, I, can I get her on screen, too? I can't push a button. That's okay. All right. Christian yeah. loves the kids. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Hi. This is Benjamin. Hey. I'm the Hello. I, Hello. I, I was on the stream chat, Sprite Kitty and Cole play games. Oh, I see you. Hey, I'm going to put that on right now. Check this out. Let's see if it works. There we go. Oh, man. You're going to get some hey, subscribers Kitty now. Cola play <laughs> game. Yeah. I need them. We're, we're literally the smallest okay. of all of them, but that's okay. I'm a gardener. Yeah. Let's see what Tom says here. Okay, I was going to read. You're welcome to join the uh, conversation there if you want to put a chat. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook and you want to say hello or ask a question or give a comment, you're welcome to do that. Rhea, where were you 19 years ago? Okay, um, so I lived on a little island, right? Part of the bar of New York, um, of Manhattan, known as Roosevelt Island, which is in the middle of the East River. And as such... Um, you get a clear view of a good portion of the city. When I woke up in the morning, I saw on, because um, I usually put on um, um, New York One News. And New York One News, I saw this picture of smoke coming out of the World Trade Center. And they, they, they had on the flash on the bottom of the screen, plane hit the World Trade Center. Like, wow. Okay. Um, and at that time, they were kind of like saying, well, you know, it was a small plane. You know, they don't know what happened. I mean, you know, usually in news, because I worked in cable news for for 10 years, you know, when the facts first come out, when when they, the reports first come out, they don't usually have all the facts. At that time, they were kind of saying it was a small plane. Then eventually they, they said, no, it was an airliner. And they think it was hijacked. Then later on... Um, they kind of confirmed it. it they, they said, yeah, you know, they have confirmation that it was hijacked. And then um, I looked out my window and I saw the smoke in the distance. I'm like, wow, this is, this is real. Um, and then, you know, the, the, real, the real tough part of it was I was watching TV and I saw the second plane hit. I saw it live and, I, I, you know, and I, I looked out the window and I saw... You know, and it was it was terrible. I mean, it was um, the city was in disarray for for a long time. But um, one thing you notice, and one thing my in laws told me is that they've never seen the FDR Drive because we were on the east side of Manhattan. We we're facing the east side of Manhattan. They've never seen the FDR Drive come to a complete standstill, and there it was. We went outside, uh, looked at the, you know, 
in the distance past the Queensborough Bridge and seeing the smoke and you know people on their outside wondering what's going to happen. We heard about the plane hitting the Pentagon and then they talked about a third plane um, crashing somewhere and speculation was and probably still is to this day. I don't know if they actually ever confirmed it, but it was headed to the White House. Um, that was that was surreal. The city, you know, I, I, I was a new immigrant at that time. I had just come to New York on the, the end of the year 2000 and literally nine months in, you know, I, I got to experience this. And um, I'm thinking, you know, and you know, that time you didn't have social media. You know, you had you had um, instant messenger, you had MSN messenger, and all of a sudden, people began to flood me with social messages, basically saying all sorts of bad thing about America, how you deserve this. I don't know where they they figured that out, but you know, it was it was really mean. And I had, you know, me a poor, ordinary schlub, you know, an ordinary person just there, trying to live a life, make a few dollars. You know, hopefully that time there was really no family involved, um, no kids or nothing. But, you know, I was just there trying to make my way. And then, you know, it's kind of kind of um, traumatic to people who do this. So, so I'm ready. Uh -huh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so here you are, an immigrant uh, and a person of color in a major city. This goes down. And are you saying that you were kind of, you know, uh, treated with uh, racist sort of overtones because of the incident. And, and how did you feel, uh, you know, being in America at this point? What a welcome, unfortunately. So I don't think it was necessarily that I was a minority. It, it was the fact that I was an American, meaning quote unquote American. I wasn't an American citizen at that time, but I was living in the United States and, you know, people sought out people in the United States to say mean things to them. You know, and there are people actually reveling in these attacks, and I just didn't find it very nice. But um, I, I kind of had a fear in the back of my mind that you know maybe people would think that I look like these hijackers, and they might try to um, you know to take some out of me. But that that never really came to pass, thankfully. Others not so fortunate. Um, one thing I uh, we did we did have immediately almost immediately was the american flag came back in vogue big time you had people flying the flag all over the place yeah and, there was a moment know. there where we really felt and i think it was president bush standing on that heap there and it really mm -hmm. felt like there was a moment where we had coalesced and uh you know history history plays out the way it does and we know we know through you know almost two decades after but there was a moment and you could really feel a sense of patriotism and I, I'd love to get back to that point without an incident uh, like this. I just want to uh, drop a note and say, uh, let's see, K5RPM says he was sleeping in late with his wife, with his infant son, who must now be uh, uh, about 19, 20 years old, I'd imagine. And she got a call from her friend. This is from Twitter uh, to turn on the news. And we know how the rest went. Uh, Paul says that uh, he heard it on the radio and uh, was pulling into work. I wasn't going into work until the evening uh, broadcast shift for me on the air at that point. But so I had all day to kind of be glued to the TV. Uh, Skip, you're in uh, academia. Uh, how how does uh, history look back on this in your studies? And um, what did what did we learn? What did we gravitate to studying what's in the books and 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 trying to keep it uh how do i say i know history can be complicated and tricky and uh how do we say in a partial way uh how history reflected this since well uh it's like i said it was what we call a black swan event something that that that's pivotal um maybe maybe for the for the american society the the the, the previous one would have been something like pearl harbor um, there have been smaller events. One of those things where you say, uh, I remember where I was when. Uh, for my generation, it might be the Kennedy assassination, for example. Um, and knowing one of the, a thing like that where you say, you know, because that occurred. To drink. 
dominoes fell after that. I mean, one of the things that I we were talking about aircraft, Ricardo, the, the, I used to love going to the airport and, you know, watching the planes take off and just hanging around the airport, things like that. And uh, within the weeks after, when they first started to bring things back together, um, every, I went to the Philadelphia airport because I had to drop my wife off. And everything was covered with white plywood. Yeah. And seeing it was, I was, I was like walking down these corridors of white plywood where they would let you go. <laughs> that, that was the problem. Um, pivotal events like this have occurred throughout history. Uh, we're going through one now with the, the COVID crisis. This is the difference is, is, is we've had plagues and, and mass destruction due to medical issues before. But um, one of the things that, that makes the current things different is, is the technology. Uh, Rhea mentioned it. Uh, Ricardo mentioned it. When when nine eleven occurred, we we didn't have any of this. We didn't have the ability to have this immediate conversation, or even to talk like we are right now. Um, so technology, it's interesting as as we advanced in our understanding of how to live in a world where international terrorism and asymmetric warfare and all those kinds of things occur. Technology's moved along. Uh, technology's been used by the bad guys to affect us. Uh, and we use the technology daily to improve our lives. So it's, 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 you know, being somebody who, you know, plays in the world of philosophy, <laughs> it's, it's, it opens up all kinds of questions and, and in philosophy, we have, we have great questions. We don't have a lot of great answers. Uh, Ricardo, I'm going to come to you in a minute. I want to just pause here for a second here. I would, I do want to thank the sponsors of 100 Watts and a Wire because we're going to be working in a different kind of format. So uh, my thanks to ICOM, LDG, the big three uh, for uh, 100 watts and wires, ICOM, uh, LDG, and BioNO Power for their support of helping me put these shows together. Appreciate you and many have been with me for a good long time. ICOM since the beginning. And I, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention that 705 and how that looks and uh, I want to touch it. I just want to touch it. That's all. I just want to touch it. I, I don't know if I'm going to be a buyer, uh, but I, I do want to hold it. It's I'm waiting for a lot of use 706s to show up on the market. I need one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hey, Ricardo, um, I know you do some work with, um, we all may have been on the periphery or involved with Aries, certainly knowing about it. Uh, in an emergency like this, um, how does Aries sort of, tie in here what did we learn and and Rhea and and skip by all means i will pass it around here uh, i'm too new to aries with just a year to understand how this had an effect uh ricardo uh tell us about what you learned and and maybe how things prepared after this incident okay um so at the moment of 9 11 i was not a part of any clubs i didn't start until about five years after that um what i did notice Two is uh, like Florida created after 9/11. Uh, um, there was a uh, they created a Florida Sarnet, which they linked all the counties to repeaters at the same time, and uh, that way they can uh, transfer information from one EOC to the other just by regular BHF and UHF. I think it's only UHF correction if I'm correct. Um, after that, um, the Aries, it, since every section will be different, I cannot tell you uh, the more specifics on that. Uh, but on, on the aviation side, many things did change after those events. And, and, and we know that one that made the news big time, it's the, the fortification or the, or the enhancement of the flight deck door was one of them. It, it's, it's a really heavy door compared to the one that was there before. Um, plus, uh, one of the things that always, always gets my attention is we know for a fact it was the size of the airplane that went into the towers. And every time, now that I work with a major airline, uh, after layoff and changes of airlines, I'm back with United Airlines. And every time we have one of the airplanes coming in into the hangar that is the same size as the one that went into the towers, always go through my head. Doesn't matter what time of the year it is. How did that building swallow up that whole airplane? 
Can you talk about some of the changes that you that were initiated right away? So you work with planes. You actually physically work on the planes. What was it like for you in the, the days to follow with security clearances? We all get pissed when we got to take our shoes off. Still, all these years later, we're still grumbling. What was it like for you just to get access to your job? Just to get access to my job, it changed because now we, we, we have to actually show uh, the ID when we go in. Um, now they got cameras. They added cameras at the entrance when you have a picture of everybody. And then when you go from a, 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 an outside hangar to the airplanes that are actually located in the, in the terminal gates, um, they want that you have to go through a regular, just like a regular passenger. Before you just scan your key, open the door, you go in. No, now you got to go through it just like a regular passenger. They have an employee entrance and you get scanned the exact same way that they do. And I give you an idea, just a plain regular Leatherman, which is a work tool that we use every night. Sometimes they say, depending on how new the guy is, it's like, well, you cannot take this inside. So I either toss it in the trash or go back to my car, leave it in there and try to go back in. Uh, that's so, one of the thing, things that have changed on the airport. In the airplanes, in addition to the, the uh, uh, enhanced flight deck door, actually that is a full term for it, um, they added and technology has advanced to the point now that uh, it's called ADSB, um, which with a small SDR radio, you can actually pick up and decode the uh, tail number of the airplane. And there's no way to turn it off from the cockpit because that, that was that was one of the issues back then. They lost radar contact with the airplanes when the transponder were turned off. With ADSB, the only way to turn it off is to literally rip the box off the airplane. And it sends position and altitude and airspeed and tail number. So that's one of the other things that changed with technology. And starting last year, every airplane, including the little ones, needs to have one of those things on. Now, flying, you if I'm trying to I'm trying to remember, I mm-hmm. don't the one thing I miss about living in Philadelphia, I love Philadelphia and and miss my friends and miss the food there. And I'm from Baltimore. So an hour up the road, you're in Philly an hour, 90 minutes or so, you're in New York, you go have a bagel, you go back home. I missed that. Now I've got to fly and plan and spend thousands of dollars to get my family out there. But I think around that time, uh, people weren't really hot to get back into the planes, were they? Is this probably why you maybe had some, I don't want to get personal here, but uh, did the airline industry suffer right after that? I'm having a hard time remembering who was flying and who was allowed and what, what the business of flying was like. The business of flying um, um, immediately uh, the, for the major airlines, not much for the regionals and the and the uh, what we call the, the low budget carriers. For the major airlines, the main customer is always been the business people, the people who do the last minute trips all from New York to LA for a business meeting and then fly back that same night. That went away because immediately the teleconferencing started to happen. Uh, so by doing that, uh, the airlines lost a lot of money and, and, and their regular customers for some time until they slowly came back up. Um, and then, uh, then after that, followed the families and, and came in. But it took, it took them about three years to recover out of that one. And that was only us. And we'll talk to uh, Skip and Rhea. Please jump in here, too. If uh, I know Rhea was just new to the country at this point. Uh, Skip, I don't know if you were doing any emergency... Aries type of work as it relates to amateur radio, but was there any any kind of parallels or, or immediate changes to the way we did things in communications or any that you remember noting at the time? Well, like like I had said earlier, I was not as involved at that point in time. It was later when I became a section manager for South Jersey that uh, I became more involved. I, I worked pretty closely with a Dennis Dura K2 DCD, uh, who's now with FEMA, um, and we began to develop, in, in, in addition to what was going on with 9-11, we had a series of hurricanes that started to affect the Jersey Shore and things like that, so we had our, a lot of stuff had to be looked at and, and reconsidered, and um, pretty much, I, I'm, I'm going back now about two years since I, I've, I've been in that work, but um, we had we've been running some serious questions with inter, not just ARA and RACES, but interagency questions about things like what would happen 
if in the business district of New York City, somebody set off a, a suitcase dirty bomb, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was an enormous learning experience for me to realize what would really be going on, very much like we didn't know quite what was going on with 9-11. Um, the thing you would think about, uh, to use this as an example, one of the things we looked at is, so people are commuting into New York City on the major highways uh, in a morning, and a, a small tactical, tactical or smaller nuclear device was to go off. Well, the first thing that would happen is the flash from that would pretty much blind everybody move, dri- driving in towards the city. So immediately the arteries would be closed by stalled cars with people that couldn't see in them. Uh, and some of them not being able to see for quite some time, and obviously accidents and pileups that would occur from that. You you, you have to unpack all of those ideas. Um, it took us a lot. Of, uh, if nine eleven gave us it gave us anything to think about, it was a wake up call, call to really start thinking. There was actually a, actually a very famous book written uh, by the Rand Corporation years ago called Thinking the Unthinkable, which was specifically about dealing with nuclear war, but but. This idea of, you know, we're not, you know, area, areas and races up until that point had become, you know, we're the guys who sit with the radios at the at the state fairs and walkathons and things like that. We weren't really doing much else. Uh, and as 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 things move forward and the works of areas and races started to dovetail with organizations like CERT, which really came out of um, the events of 9-11 which is a rebirth of the old civil defense. I, I have my civil defense hat up here somewhere. Um, uh, we learned that we have to look at a lot of different ways. And 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 the thing that's still, and we talked about this earlier, the thing, the thing we're still trying to get a handle on, I think nationwide is what is amateur radio specific role? Because so many people who are in ham, ham radio, um, to do ARES and races also do other things that have an emergency nature, whether it's CERT or they're an EMT or they're a special police officer and, and navigating who's going to be who and where they're going to be in an emergency. Um, that's, that's something that we're still working on. Uh, I, 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 the people I know that are still involved in that thinking, it's still something getting that all sorted out is something we have to continue to be vigilant about because something else will happen, hopefully not as drastic or tragic, but, you know, even in a, in a storm, one of the things we learned in New Jersey was we weren't allocating. Uh, so if, if a hurricane hit Atlanta County, we would expect the Atlanta County hams to deal with it. Well, no, the Atlanta County County hams were dealing with the floods in their basements. So you would need the Mercer County hams or the, the Cape May County hams or some other groups to come in and do the radio work because the people who live in that County, they were going to be busy with the disaster. So we're learning, you know, it's, it's, we always grow from each event. Hopefully. Rhea, go ahead, pick it up. What are you, what are you thinking? So um, I was directly involved in the Aries response in, um, in New York city for nine 11. And um, there are several things. I mean, skip touch on a few things that could have been possible scenarios. Like, you know, you have the, co- the commute into New York city every morning is a disaster in itself. Um, you're lucky to get to work on time. If you come from any distance, especially taking a bus on mass transit, add <laughs> disaster into the mix. It's going to be terrible. The mayor uh, at the time, it was initially Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. And then um, Michael Bloomberg um, took over. They, um, they instituted a mandatory HOV three. So you couldn't enter the city unless you had three in the vehicle um, period. Mm. And um, that, that went on for quite a while. The Staten Island ferry, um, the, the, the station, the train station at the Staten Island ferry was destroyed. So, um, well, yeah. So you couldn't get to the Staten Island ferry. So people from Staten Island had a hard time commuting to the rest of the city. So that's the thing. But the main thing involved in Aries response was there were two things. One, the World Trade Center housed a lot of telecom infrastructure. It housed, um, at that time, it was Bell Atlantic slash Verizon. And um, they lost a lot of stuff. So a lot of phones didn't work. 
And the sheer volume of calls of people just calling their grandma or their mom or dad to say, hey, I'm all right, overloaded the, the landline phones. So we were called into action to pass traffic among the shelters for the Red Cross and do some work with OEM in New York City. I'll tell you something else about OEM. Rudy Giuliani, the mayor, he had a huge command center with um, all of the city's agencies and races had a desk there. Guess where that command center was? Seven World Trade. Mm. So Seven World Trade, it um, that got destroyed, our EOC got destroyed. They had to go to an undisclosed location in Brooklyn, which essentially um, everybody knows it's like downtown in that Metroplex, um, Metrotech complex with the FDNY and they have their um, backup facilities there. So, you know, that was our role. And for a while, we supported shelters. Like I mentioned, I saw everybody from the rich Wall Street bankers to the people who clean their toilets in the same shelter because they couldn't get back into their apartments. And, um, it, you know, it was chaos. And then I rode around in a Red Cross vehicle going to shelters to pick up and drop off radio operators. Um and um, it was pure chaos, you know. And plus, the Salvation Army was a big part of response too. They carried on a very important function, which is caring for and feeding emergency workers. Because a lot of times, these people they didn't have access to to, to food or drink. You know, the people who who save our lives. They went. Um, they, you know, Salvation Army. That was the main thing. They brought food and water for them. So. Lots of good stuff. Jeff Sneller, N2HPO, was was the person who involved the um, with the uh, Saturn Salvation Army. A lot of good times. I mean, you know, when I mean good times, I mean, you know, it really showed Amateur Radio's response. And yes, initially you did have New York City hams coming in. Because a lot of New York City hams know how to deploy VHF and UHF in an urban environment. It's not like, you know, they were from other places where you have antennas on your house and such. You had to learn how to make do in your apartment with portable setups. But later on, the ARRL called for um, backup from, you know, other places, other parts of the country to come in and, and provide relief when things kind of stabilize. So that was how it was. And I'll, I'll tell you, the, this there was one central figure. There are two central figures in all this. Charlie Hargrove, NOV. He was one. He was the, the DEC of Aries at that time. And then you had John Kiernan, K2UN. He was the, the EC for Manhattan, and he was at Red Cross headquarters. He was busy. Lots of stuff. So I want to pass it around just a little bit here, and then uh, I don't want to keep you guys all night, but this is fascinating stuff, and I'm really enjoying it, but I'll geek out on you guys, and I know you all have lives and things to do. And you're all on the East Coast, so it's actually much later there. And then I want to talk about the fallout a little bit. Uh, before I let you go, uh, Rhea, we'll come back to you. I just, how did um, your life change after this incident? I remember uh, Challenger exploding. I think I was in 10th grade, uh, you know, when the space shuttle blew up and and how that kind of impacted me, but still it felt kind of far away being so young. And then this hit me as an adult in a certain way. And it, it really pushed me into life a little bit. Um, I had been with, I guess, my girlfriend, fiance, whatever. We've been together forever, it feels like. Um, and it was like, you know what? We're, we just probably should go get married and uh, do that. And I think maybe we'll move to the country. And it, it was one of these things that kind of blew wind in my sails to make this life change. Um, Rio, was there, was there something for you that kind of uh, affected your life? Well, okay. Yeah, there, there are several things. I mean, the biggest one of them is that everything, just like, just like COVID, everything stopped. So I was in the process of um, finalizing my, my paperwork, my green card here, and that slowed down. I was initially supposed to go to 26 Federal Plaza in Manhattan. They shifted all of that to um, Garden City, New York. So Garden City was where I was headed to, do, to, to deal with the rest of my immigration paperwork. And um, they put a bunch of extra, you know, um, it, it, the backlog grew and grew because the backlog's already bad. It, it, it got worse. 
other things I, I figured was at one time I thought to myself, um, do I really want to live in New York anymore? You know, do I really want to live close to this, to this um, terrorism, to the possibility of terrorism? And I, I thought long and hard to myself, you know, is this really worth it? And you know what? For a few years, I stuck it out. I, I, I stayed in the city. I moved to Jersey uh, because of job and, and all of that stuff. Um, but, you know, it, it, it weighed on my mind that something could happen in Manhattan. And I actually ended up working back in Manhattan. And it always, and I worked at, um, due to who I work for, um, you know, they, it, there was always a threat of something happening. So, yeah, so that, that's how it kind of affected my, my whole decision-making process. I remember I took my soon-to-be bride. Now, at this point, we decided to uh, go ahead and do it. And um, we weren't married yet, but we were still living in Philadelphia. I was still working at WMMR. And um, we went to New York. There was a time where you couldn't. couldn't. And uh, I think it was in January, which is you know, a few months after. And you could still see the soot. And things on the walls and people had, you know, they had the fences up around the area, all the posted notes and, you know, looking for notes. And it just, it, it hit you. It was like a grounding it hit me at least anyway, on that, that particular visit, like you had just missed history in some sense, but you could tell it really happened because blocks away, there was still soot cover bricks and on the, all the walls uh, Ricardo, how did uh, how did the events of this time affect you? The uh, um, at that moment, it uh, uh, just got me extremely thinking about how can we help to not this happen again. And that's when they came out with the new enhanced doors, um, and also they forced, they didn't force us that we have to now take a yearly training on these kind of situations. Um, Two years after, um, I lost the job with that airline, and I ended up changing to corporate and uh, and snowball from there because all the airlines were suffering at one point or another. But once I got back into the into the major airlines, it's still in there. You actually have a I think another training that they, in which they make you uh, think about what will happen if. And when I work on the airplanes, I just I definitely enjoy making sure that the systems work as it's supposed to. And to if somebody does try to do something crazy like that again, it will not happen. Uh, uh, that's what initially affected me, just the moving of jobs. I still live in Orlando. I was able to stay in here, but it was three years of just what if after that moment until I found another secure job. That's that's how it affected me, and and this morning talking with my wife as we watched the the review of the events during the morning, we talk about how much we were gasping at that moment, and twenty almost twenty years later, we still feel the exact same pounding on our hearts about how this happened. And then she is a flight attendant, so it's. Inside me, it's even more scary if you think about it. So she asked me sometimes, "What if? What will? What can she use from the airplane?" So I tell her a few tricks in addition to her training that it, you know, that you can destroy in the airplane and use it as as a deterrent. Uh, and she says, like, and for her, it affects more because she goes to work. She actually is working right now. She's on her way back from West Virginia. She should be landing in about thirty minutes. Uh, and, and she says, like, how can I actually you know, commemorate this? Because all the flight attendants are just one flight attendant. They're all the same, even if they work for different airlines. Uh, so that's what she tells me on her side. On my side, it just, just stays on my head. I mean, sometimes I get a nightmare uh, when I just watch too much videos of the same. So, but one step at a time, just keep the airplane safe. It's the, the best way I can do. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I think it's a, you know, I had to put it down. It was so intense in real time and you were glued to it, you know, and it's sort of like uh, the way we are now with COVID and you got to put the TV down. I think, you know, go out and play in the garden or put your hands in the dirt or do something. But, you know, I found just last night, I, I was scrolling through, like I said, and 
It was radio. It was the radio communications between the planes and the ground, and I couldn't do it. And the thing that clicked into my mind was the calls from people on the plane to loved ones, and I can't do it. I still can't do it, Skip. I don't know what it means. I know you're not a psychiatrist, but uh, I just... (laughs) <laughs> it's too heavy for me, and I really would have to be in a in some sort of state where I could do it. Yeah. It was just too heavy for me. Uh, pick it up there, Skip. Talk about uh, you know your life and your thoughts uh, after that event. Well, uh, I came that close to calling First Army and reactivating. <laughs> my yeah. Wife and probably a good thing because I'm too darn old for that stuff anymore. Uh, I had been, for those of you who don't know, I had been a military chaplain. Uh, and um, I, I did get the opportunity, though, to go up and work the site as a chaplain related to the chapel of the four chaplains. And working especially with the, the emergency personnel who were still on the site, um, you know, there's a lot of survivors, survivors remorse. You know, why, why didn't I colleagues get it and I didn't. And I actually, one of the most moving things was I actually had the opportunity. I was invited privately to go to Ladder 11, go in the building and see where, basically it was where the men left everything when they went in and then they didn't come out. And I still get a little lump in my throat when I think about seeing that. Um, But I did get the opportunity to do, you know, what little I could do from the outside world coming in to, to help folks process the work they were doing to clean up that site. And I saw a lot of heroism. I saw a lot of confusion in my mind. Uh, you could, one time I was walking over to where they had set up the makeshift morgue to process anyone they found coming out. And, and at this point, the city had started to clean up quite a bit and I could look over the barrier and see uh, stores with fashions and, and things like that and life going on while we were still dealing with what was going on in the hole. Um, those conundrums still affect me in weird ways. But, but going forward, uh, I had two young sons at the time. My, my one son was, in his, was sitting on the day of 9-11, was in a, in a meeting at his school planning the senior class trip to the World Trade Center. Uh, that changed their lives quite a bit. And uh, you just continue to reflect and you say, you know, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen. All we can do is, is help each other through them. That's, uh, and, and, and that help can be as little as I learn in, in the work that I do in chaplaincy. It's be as little as just standing next to somebody. You don't even have to talk. Just having, letting somebody know that you're there with them. Uh, that's what that, that, that's probably sometimes all you need to do. Uh, we can all just figure out ways to, like I, I heard several of you say, if we could just be united as a country like we were at that point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we'll get there. But and I hope we don't have, have to have another one of these to do I it. I hope that. You know. <laughs> Uh, but there was a feeling, and I think uh, you guys will back me up on this. I think when President Bush stood on that pile with his megaphone, there was a moment that I felt, yeah, this is America. Whatever this happened, we, you know, and he, he made it, you know, he laid it out there. I, don't, I can only paraphrase now because I didn't remember many of his uh, speeches or uh, famous words. But basically, you know, uh, he was coming. You know, he was going to rectify the situation and the people coalesced around a moment again it you know it kind of it spread back out time moves things in, in different directions again and and he we're here we are kind of longing for those those moments again uh so i appreciate anybody who was listening to this as it's happening or uh maybe listening to it later i know it's not directly related to uh amateur radio but the four of us are related to amateur radio and uh, we are more than just uh, ham operators. So I, I think it's it's fair game uh, to talk about this. So I want to thank everybody on the panel for indulging me tonight too, because different perspectives bring a different situation geographically. 
uh, two of you are pretty close. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was, uh, in Philadelphia and Ricardo was down in Florida. I mean, but, uh, that experience, um, do you guys remember real quick, Rhea and Skip, do you remember the uh, fighter jets going over? Do you remember hearing the fighter jets going oh, back? Yeah. And forth? yeah, it was thunderous. I mean, I've never, I've never really heard it over New York city. Um, but yeah, I remember it was, it literally got etched in my mind now. Yeah. And, yeah. Chris, it was, it was like, you have to remember about Rhea and I, uh, I'm pork roll and she's Taylor ham. <laughs> Never the twain shall meet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and hello yeah, there. And now, Thanks. now we see the fighter jets because you know the president he goes down um in New Jersey and there's like a big circle. So we hear the fighter jets here. It kind of brings back the memories too. Yeah, we were uh we were in Philadelphia, Hello, right in the city. Sounds really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean they were uh ripping across the sky. Uh, from D.C., you could tell, you know, D.C., and there were reports that it was D.C. to New York, and shoo, we're right in the line. Uh, anyway, but thank you, you guys, for that. I do want to talk a little bit. You're welcome to stay if you want to. I'll just be a couple minutes. We have a, an operating event we do twice a year. In the spring, it's called the Tune-Up, and it happens before uh, field day. You know, many of us don't get to... Um, you know, if you're with a club, you may have a different role, but you may have built a really cool antenna you want to try on your own. The tune-up gives you a chance to do that. Get out and get portable. And we do it in the fall. It's sort of, uh, you know, before it starts to get cold, except for Ricardo, who lives in paradise, and he never gets cold. <laughs> Somehow we've made a mistake uh, geographically, but uh, okay. Um, so we, we try to do something in the beginning of October, and we call it the fallout. You can be indoors or outdoors. Doesn't matter if you're outdoors, you know, run a hundred watts, make some contacts, just get on the air. And uh, we kind of wrap up the season. I know many people will do a winter field day, many people operate parks and activate, but the, it's something we can do as a community. And this year I'm really psyched because it's a random drawing. And we had we'd have a list of like 11 prizes to give away. And we'd pick, my daughters would pick them and we'd match it up. This guy gets a battery. Skip, you're going to get to this thing over here. And, you, you know, and then I decided, you know, what we'll do is, uh, we'll, uh, we'll winner takes all kind of deal. And, uh, so we've got this, uh, we've got a package now, like a full system. We've got an antenna from LDG and an NFED. We've got from MFJ, they're going to give us one of those Zygu uh, XG90s, a 20-watt. You can take it out in the field, play around with it. Uh, Powerfilm solar solar panel. Uh, BioNO is going to give a 9-amp-hour battery. And ABR Industries, they're going to give away 50 uh, feet of uh, Ultraflex coax. So, in essence, somebody who participates this year is going to win a full station, which... That's pretty cool. I haven't had a rig to give away before. Uh, so uh, thanks to MFJ for tossing that in. That's going to be great. And that's October the 9th through the 11th. You can read more about it at 100wattsandawire.com and click the activities tab. And you can learn more about that. And uh, anytime, any band, any mode, no rules. I uh, get work 25 stations or get 25 contact points. You're in the drawing and, uh, Maybe you'll win a cool prize. So that's that. I don't know. I think Ricardo plays. He plays around outside. Rhea's been on my, uh, we were, what were we called? The quarantine in the, uh, <laughs> in the spring. And Skip, maybe we'll get you out there in your RV uh, that weekend. And, and uh, we'll yeah, get in I'm out in it and I'll, uh, I have the KX3. I'll, I'll throw a wire up. Yeah, cool. We'll just make contacts real casual. True signal report. You can read all about it there. No pressure. It's just a, a way for us to kind of get out one more time. And if you can't, stay in, in your shack and operate. Go ahead, Rhea. I live, I live streamed, remember? You did. And Rhea, here's yeah. the thing about Rhea. Rhea's a rock star, in case you don't know. <laughs> Rhea's a rock star, ham radio rock star. And uh, when she's on the air, and it's like our nets. That's another thing I should put up here is uh, to share the net uh, with everybody. Um, we do it on Sunday nights. But sometimes we have like a rock star takeover and our net control operator becomes Rhea or somebody else piles up, piles up. And uh, we have to have you back, actually. 
I'll have all you back. You should come in and host this Sunday evening net for an hour. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Rhea's a, a prize-winning contester. Are, are you uh, able to operate, Rhea? Are you got to... Uh... Yeah, no, I, I'm able to operate. I mean, I have, you know, I have... I, I, I could definitely get on um, 80, 40, 20. So, right, 160. Cool. Done. She sends over contract papers. I have to refer to her as the queen. It's ridiculous. You have to see my, you have to see my agent. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. It's very expensive, big time stuff. Thank yeah. you, guys. I want to let you go get to your programs or whatever you do on a Friday night. Thank you for your generosity. And uh, let's see if I can if I can tune this down now. How does this work? Let's see. I'll go ahead and drop you guys out. This this is the graceful night. Well, wait. Let me just see what happens. Try a thing. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. And I'm working on one of these computers. This is the, uh, the end of the show. So we'll, we'll just... We'll see if this works, guys. Uh, thank you so much. Take care of yourselves, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. We'll talk more about uh, the tune-up and the fallout uh, on the next show. Take care, guys. See you later. To join the 100 Watts in a Wire community, visit 100wattsinawire.com.